0: Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me as I interview and promote living composers. In this series of interviews, I talk with composers about their musical journeys, their past successes and setbacks, and their current projects. For more information about this podcast, as well as a complete archive of episodes, please visit sdcompose.com slash dough. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Doe. My guest today is Wayne Lytle. Wayne is best known as the co-creator, director, and composer of the highly successful series, Music. He earned degrees in music and computer science at Westchester University of Pennsylvania, and a master's degree in computer graphics from Cornell University. Following graduation, Wayne worked for eight years at the Cornell Theory Center, where he experimented with techniques for visualizing scientific data. His Music videos are available in two DVD sets, have been viewed millions of times on YouTube, and have been broadcast several times on PBS. Wayne Lytle, thank you for joining me today on Movable Doe. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So we'll have time to talk about Anna Music in a bit, but I wanted to start by learning more about you. So where did you grow up, first of all?
1: Kind of uh, different places. Um, I was born in France. My dad was in the military, and uh, I lived in Italy a couple of times, uh, Brazil. Uh, for high school and New Jersey. So uh, I I was, I kind of bounced around a bit, which I didn't like at the time being, being a kid and kind of just missing, you know, American TV and American (laughs) candy, but looking back on it uh, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It kind of gave me a much broader perspective of, of the world. And uh, so, so it was, it was, it was good but sure. I grew up kind of overseas overseas in general.
0: Okay. Well, where in the midst of all your travels, did you begin your music training?
1: Well, I think, I think when I was about two, they, uh, you know, I, I got a little, uh, toy piano for Christmas. And <laughs> within about a minute I was hitting it with a hammer. <laughs> uh, so I kind of started right out with, you know, alternative approaches to, to musical instruments, but I think it was eight or nine. We, we got a, a piano, uh, with the idea of, of, you know, I'd start piano lessons. And I think by the end of the day, I had plunked out my first little piece. You know, I just started writing right right from the get-go. And immediately with piano lessons began to diligently not practice my lessons, hardly (laughs) ever. And that continued all the way through high school, all the way into college, where I was a a performance major, uh, classical piano and Mainly still spent three, four hours a day just improvising, jamming away, and maybe cram in 15 minutes a Bach before running off to my lessons. <laughs> so eventually, we all gave up on that, and I switched to computer science, uh, and, and, that, and that was that. I, so anyway, I, w- I was not, not an ideal student. Um, I really just, I, I was more interested in being creative than learning other people's music. Uh, you know, just I guess my my personality. So, anyway,
0: sure, I understand that. So, I read somewhere that you actually composed and performed music for a progressive rock band in high school.
1: Yeah, yeah, it started in high school and went into college a bit, where where really it it uh became more interesting as we picked up a, a re- really really good guitar player and both the other two guys in in that in that band uh they both went on to be professional musicians, you know, doing, you know, arena tours and, uh, you know, uh, the guitarist has been the musical director for South park for years. And, uh, you know, so they, they both went on to, have, you know, purely music careers. Uh, you know, and so, so, I mean, that, that was a very formative time for me, but the other component, I was fortunate enough to go to, uh, high school princeton high school which is has one of the best music programs for high school like anywhere and you know the orchestra and the band and the choir just you know they they win competitions wherever they went whatever so uh, i was kind of part of that and i um i had i guess i'd like i like progressive rock but also uh classical to to some extent as well and i had i had uh i was a big fan of emerson lake and palmer and i'd seen them in madison square garden where they're 65 piece orchestra and it kind of blew my little middle school mind and i (laughs) wanted to be keith emerson after that so so in high school i wrote a piece for for orchestra and rock band together which the orchestra director uh was very supportive of and we ended up playing it we we you know, took it around to different competitions we played at. It did really well, so that was a lot of fun. And it was, you know, it was for orchestra and rock band and me on mini Moog synthesizer. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was really cool. Um, and I think, I think that was sort of what 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 really that whole thing helped me with was not so much. I mean, it was good to, for me to be trying to play the instruments, but I, I, I don't consider myself to be a very accomplished player. It's more, for me, the fascination was how, how the sounds were made by the instruments, you know? So I, I like took up uh, viola, I played saxophone. I pri- primarily was, it was a piano uh, guy, played drums and whatever, but it was kind of, half of the experience was observing like, okay, you know, this is what it looks like when a guitarist is playing and this kind of sound comes out. This is what it looks like when drummers, you know, it's sort of the motion of the whole thing. And, and even just, I mean, I spent, (laughs) I I spent quite a lot of time just staring at guitar strings, vibrating, being fascinated by the Hmm. beauty of the vibration, you know, as much as the sound, that it was making way yeah. before I had any idea of doing any music I just thought it was beautiful, you know, and, and it does more stuff than you'd, than you'd ever realize. I mean, you just, you know, pluck a guitar string and, and look at it. And it's all these oscillations layered on top of each other, just, just really cool stuff. So I guess I, I was attracted to the visual aspect of it. Maybe you could say the physics aspect of it. Mm-hmm. as much as anything um you know that kind of that kind of just uh continued continued on until i consciously began thinking about animating music and then that is sort of good 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 that i had you know retroactively it's good that i'd done that but at the time I, it, you know that was that was before i ever kind of have a had a thought of doing computer animated music sure in high school there that was, i was in high school in the you know, late 70s to early like i graduated in 81 from high school so uh you know there wasn't computer graphics animation wasn't a thing really yet it was just kind of starting maybe mid 80s you know you see spinning logos on tv and that kind of thing
0: yeah so, speaking of which once what... i saw
1: that then i'm like oh that's that was... <laughs> as soon as i saw that i then Not only did I want to be a rock star, but I wanted to be work work for a company in L.A. and do like, you know, scrubbing bubbles commercials. That was like the ultimate. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not.
0: So while you were at Cornell, you co-authored a a paper uh, titled A Testbed for Image Synthesis. So I tried reading through part of it. And though I didn't understand some of the more technical aspects of computer graphics, (laughs) Uh, I got that you were sort of experimenting uh-huh. with digital imaging, especially making computer-generated images look realistic through reflected and reflected, refracted light. Uh, yeah. Is this similar to what you were doing at the Cornell Theory Center? And is this what sort of led you toward Anna Music?
1: Um, not it 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 not really in the sense that everything that I did in. In grad school, and and a testbed for is sym- synthesis. Is like that's the title of my my th- uh, thesis, so it's probably a paper derived from that. Um, that was just sort of the for me the fundamentals, and it was like everything except animation. But mm-hmm. I was all about animation, you know. Uh, I, I I've never minded letting the smart people figure out how to make the pictures look beautiful. For me it's about how stuff moves and, and, uh, you know, what you can do with that. But, uh, you know, (laughs) I was surrounded by some very brilliant people doing some very complicated looking math stuff and making pictures look good. So, (laughs) yeah, I, I I leave it to the pros. Uh, but it's uh, the, the creative part is like how you make things move, uh, specifically in a way that, that is unique. And, you know, I, I remember thinking even, even back in probably in grad school but maybe at least when I started at the theory center that if you want if you want your content to look different then use software that's different than what everyone else is using because if you use software that everyone else is using it it has a tendency to produce things that are very similar it it kind of feel so by writing my own software which i kind of started doing right when i got to the theory center and taking a different approach it just ends up looking different not not better necessarily but you know i've had you know people uh say you know quite often how our stuff just it just didn't look like you know so they're like what do you guys use it just doesn't look like it's done with maya it doesn't look like it was done you know it's sort of like they could tell it was unfamiliar, you know? Right. So, uh, that, that was a, I don't know, I guess a kind of a side effect of, of having custom written software, but, um, uh, well, let me get back to answering your question. I, I think I sort of managed to skip over the answer.
2: <laughs> that's okay.
1: When I got to the theory center, that's when things really started to click because I was fortunate enough to be part of the very very early days of scientific visualization which is using computer animation to, to depict some scientific data uh, like it could be a simulation run on a supercomputer super or some you know fluid dynamics stuff you know uh, solar flares or um, you know uh, the surface of 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 Saturn you know, sw- uh, swirling around. I, I did, I, I worked with a guy on some stuff like that, uh, medical stuff, you know, all kinds of things like that. Um, and the cool thing is that that scientific visualization is computer animation that is driven not by manually keyframing characters around, but it's driven by a whole bunch of numbers that are flowing from somewhere. And so right from the very beginning, you know, I, there was a, a a guy that came, he was a consultant from a, um, you know, a different, um, supercomputer facility. And he, he kind of, uh, had a lot of experience in this area. And he said, look, you know, don't try to do, don't try to do it using all the built in tools of, of the commercial software you're you're using, which is what i assumed everybody did he's like just forget all that stuff write your own code and and bake the 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 objects and the animation with with your own code and just insert it frame by frame uh it's sort of like totally bypassing half of the regular tools and doing it programmatically and and i i've always been a, a fanatic for you know i've loved writing computer code since i was in i don't know third grade or something so you know that was perfect for me uh and and essentially what that got me pointed towards is uh data-driven animation animation that's driven by something other than keyframing things by hand and back then that was pretty rare these days it's it's kind of everybody's doing it but back then it was it was pretty unique so, you know, that's kind of what really got me that it's what opened the door. I'd been I'd been imagining doing uh, computer animated music for, you know, a few years before that. But this is where things really clicked. I said, you know, instead of pumping in scientific data, pump in musical data and I'm driving it from a musical score. So that that was sort of the heart of it.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's move into talking about Animusic music now. So I've been a, a big fan of the series for a long time. Uh, for those that haven't seen it, uh, I'll try to give a, a description of it. I think Wayne touched on a little bit here. Um, so as I understand it, Animusic music differs from traditional animated video in that the music isn't laid over the top of the video, but the music is actually driving the animation. Is that the, the basic gist? In a simplified uh, yeah. term.
1: Well, 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 it is because it actually. Let, let's just say yes for now. But but there's yes. Let's just let's just say yes, and then I'll circle back uh, to there's different ways to look at it. But sure, that's fine for now.
0: Okay. So how did the how did the company start? Where did you begin?
1: Uh, well, um, I. I talked to a friend of mine that I knew from church and he was a software developer guy. And I kind of went out to lunch with him one day and I said, you know, I want to start this company uh, to do computer animated music. And he kind of knew I really had a passion for that. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about business or raising money or anything like that. Do you have any ideas about what approach I might take? And he said, Well, here's an idea. Why don't you do contract programming for me and my company and I'll pay you well enough that you can then fund, you know, hiring somebody to, uh, you know, basically what what the solution ended up being, which is a very nice, nice uh, solution is, is that I became a contract programmer for uh, a little team developing some new software for, for this guy, uh, for the banking industry. And, uh, then basically during the day I'd be doing that. I hired, uh, uh, an artist who worked, uh, on the, mainly the modeling and art side of things. And then I did the coding side of things. Uh, and you know, when he went home, then I'd start working on the music side of things. But during the day I'd be writing, uh, you know, computer code for, for, ATM deposits, you know, which actually, it sounds boring, but it was a very enjoyable experience. They, you know, work working with these other guys who were really smart, and I I learned a lot in that period of time. So, it was it was a lot of fun. It actually worked very well. Um, I was doing nothing but working, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's that's kind of how things. That that's what bootstrapped. Animusic and got us through Animusic One. And by the time we got to Anna Two, Animusic One had had started to sell well enough that it, you know, there was some money coming in from that. And then um somebody from HP actually contacted us and they they had some uh some projectors that they were just coming out with, and they wanted some custom uh computer animation uh to show off their new projectors. So uh, and he had really the contact there at HP really liked Animusic, so he said, "Could you do a custom uh, animation for HP uh, that you could use yourself, but can you work in some stuff that it actually has the HP logo uh, on it and whatever?" So that's what we did there. Is um, the, the the part of Animusic two that has uh, the the excerpts from pictures and an exhibition mm-hmm. that whole long uh suite of i guess it's parts of three different movements there right. that was all originally done for hp and on the bass drum heads it had the hp logo so uh-huh. it was all rendered and then and then we just had to render our version that just whited out the hp logo and put
0: put, I think the, was, I think put, put the picture put, of the gate, great gate to kiev that, that yeah, picture yeah. yeah thinking back on those early days as you were getting going What were the initial challenges you had developing the the new technology for Animusic?
1: Well, depending on how far back we go in the early days, because I kind of got started on, you know, not just computer animation, but computers in general. Like, like I was, you know, I started, I started my first program when I was in third grade and my dad kind of helped me uh, put together this little program to average bowling scores on a mainframe IBM computer with punch cards. So that's how, (laughs) that's how long ago. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, we weren't at the point yet where everybody had computers on their desktops and even in their pockets. This was back when a computer was something that filled several rooms. Right. Yeah. But I loved them from way back then. I just, I, I, I just, as soon as I, you know, first saw a computer and averaged a couple numbers, I was in love with computers. So, um, but back then they weren't nearly as powerful as, as what we just take for granted these days. So, when I first actually started doing computer animation, uh, and then specifically for music back then it was still, um, real time really hadn't come along yet. You know, it wasn't like Nvidia cards you can get these days those real time ray tracing. Uh, you know, back then you'd had to, uh, you know, submit a render job for like 30 seconds of animation and have a powerful computer render each frame, uh, one by one, and then in the morning, hope nothing crashed, and then take those frames and lay them down on a. We had, at the theory center, we had like a sixty thousand dollar piece of equipment that let you watch thirty seconds of video uh that you could lay down frame by frame. You know, so it was like that was like eighty nine. I'm talking about at this point. So the challenge back then was how separate. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't like. I could sit there and work out music and animation together, which is sort of my ultimate vision is to have it be a unified process, not working on two separate streams. But this is very definitely like I, I do music just imagining stuff in my head, then export files, run through a bunch of stuff, submit a job, come back in the morning, lay down frames and then watch it without sound. Then take the sound, lay that down on video and sync the two up and then see how it went. Mm -hmm. And that was such a, um it, it, it's uh you know the the length of that uh test cycle where you, you try you, you do something then you try it test it see how it is make an adjustment do it again when it's a 24 hour 48 hour thing by that point you're not in the same space you were when you were working on whatever tune whatever you know notes you were adjusting whatever motion or whatever you, you sort of have to keep shifting to what you were doing 12 or 24 hours ago and whatever so it just was even though this is i certainly like to think of it as a form of artistic expression the space that i was in mentally most of the time was uh, very like technical and um i was in like a land of computers and wires and cables mm. um Occasionally visiting art a little bit, but rushing through it because I really had to get back to all the computer stuff. Right. So I would say that was the real challenge: is like like to to do something that was that was artistic, while most of the time wrestling with these very big clunky uh, machines that are what you could say I was using as paintbrushes. they, were, they it wasn't real time. So that really sort of from an artistic perspective, that was the biggest challenge.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I saw on your, uh, on the Animusic website, something about proactive versus reactive animation. I wonder yes. if you could talk about those concepts for a second.
1: Yeah, that's what that's. Uh, and, you know, I, I decided to use the word proactive even though it's sort of a, a, misuse of the word or it's, or I'm, I'm making up a different definition because, um, but but it just seemed like a nice little opposite of, of uh, reactive. But by reactive, I mean um, it, it's what it's what you think of with kind of um, music visualizers or you know any, anything that has a you know FFT based analysis of the frequency spectrum and then and then sort of reactively looks at how loud this range of the frequency spectrum is at the very moment and then uses that to uh, animate a single parameter of something that then you pump into some kaleidoscopic effect and it amuses it your brain for a few seconds. Then you get bored. You know, it, it you know, I, I mean, I've, I've zoned out of that stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's its place and it's kind of fun, but there's something that the, the reality of that particular approach is you don't know what is happening in the music until you're already hearing it, in which case it's way too late to make some kind of motion that um, that causes the notes and the sounds that you're now hearing to happen, which was a weird sentence, but that's probably because it was <laughs> it had time travel in it you know so so um What this does is it's sort of like it not nothing that I've done with any music from the very beginning has, has tried to like real time react to stuff. It's more take, it's like when you take a step back and you're able to uh, be outside of time, uh, you're not in the moment, you're like looking at a whole score and, and you know, you know, from it, what you do, you look at a score and go, oh, let's look at the middle section a little bit. Oh, look how this, this riff builds up to, what's about to happen in measure 36 and you know you sort of can rewind and fast forward and have this 30,000 foot view of things and see this might build up here and this big symbol crash is going to happen so we need to have something that basically shows that the symbol crash is about to happen If you're watching a symphony orchestra, you're like, "Oh, the guy just grabbed the cymbals, and his arms are really far (laughs) apart. He looks very (laughs) excited. I know it's going to happen." And and it's funny because you know, even you imagining that made you laugh. But that that is something that's very natural to us. We love to anticipate and like and and visualize in our head, and then have it happen. And it's very satisfying when you see the guy and he winds up, and you see his arms moving. If he didn't hit those symbols, it would really feel frustrating. That's true. But when you, but when when it happens, it's like, yeah, that's just. I knew that was going to do that, and it feels really good, right? That's kind of part of the magic that's behind, uh, and music. It, it's you know, it's it's that magic that it has nothing to do with Animusic. music. It's just like your brain likes to to sort of understand the environment as and go, oh, I think I see what's going to happen and have it happen. It, it that feels satisfying and when you do it in a musical context especially it's it's even more satisfying then once that's happening then you start playing with with it which musicians do all the time where where you you get in this groove and you're like okay i know it's happening i know it's about to happen and then they surprise you and just when you thought this was going to happen instead they played this chord and then suddenly everyone reacts to that it's the delight of well i thought i knew it was going to happen but then it took this left turn but it didn't do it so much. It frustrated me. It did it just enough that it delighted me instead. Sure. So that was, that was a bit long winded, but the bottom <laughs> line is it's the stuff that leads up to an event that is completely present all the time. Every single note in anime music.
0: Yeah. You know, honestly, that's one of my favorite parts of these videos is watching the preparation for what's about mm-hmm. to happen. I love that. In, in fact, mm-hmm. if I could get anecdotal for a second, um, you know, I'm sure many people can remember the first time they saw one of your videos. Uh, I remember my first exposure was on PBS. My wife and I were channel surfing. Suddenly, came across a presentation of harmonic voltage, and I couldn't uh-huh. look. I couldn't look away. Uh, not only was the music engaging, but the visuals were captivating. Um, I know as you've I, I've, as I've shared these videos with my students, I often get the question: "Is that real?" Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> In 2012, Intel actually did make a real-life version of your pipe dream. Yeah have there Have there been any other attempts that you know of of creating real-life versions of your computer models?
1: Yeah, I've been told about about a few, but they're generally in the kitchen with pots and pans, you know. <laughs> uh, and some of those people have gone on to uh, to become like professional musicians and studio uh, engineers and stuff like that. So um, that's one of the kind of nice extra bonuses that that uh, dave and i never expected as we you know embarked on this whole thing back in whatever sometime some in the 90s was that it, it would in, impact certain people in such a deep way mm-hmm. uh, but but yeah i think that that's another kind of very natural human thing and i used to do it when i was a kid i i would uh you know, I'd hear some music and it would that made me want to hit the stuff and have my own drums, which I didn't have yet. So I made some fake drums and hit them with log cabin parts. And you know, it's like that's for a kid, that's not that's not weird. That's just that's just normal. So what you, you see something, you're like, hey, let me try that. Yeah. So um, so yeah, but nobody nobody else that I know of has built a machine uh that was that was trying to do something that I, I had always said it's impossible. You can't really build a machine like this because the accuracy that would be required to, to hit a string with a with a sort of big, giant ball bearing so perfectly that it bounced back exactly in the same plane. <laughs> it, it hit hit something else, continue with that perfection and hit that. That's just not going to happen. So then they decided to do it. Well, they, they did it. But there were some tricks and constraints that it wasn't literally bouncing off a single string because right. that's just not going to happen. So, but, uh, but yeah, it, I remember when I first saw the finished thing, what impacted me was this thing's really freaking loud. I mean, <laughs> I all the that stuff that was doing that, the, the clunky, like all this these parts were like, and you could hear that as, as, as much as, as all the music. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. It, it was fun to see. My dream really is. Is for to produce the stuff in a context that it's immersive and uh, it's VR, so you can put on a VR headset and and be able to be in the environment like like some of the ones you've seen on Animusic One and Two. But you know what? For me, it would be more of a immersive uh, world that stuff's going on all, all around you and you can sort of move through it. And you're moving through this almost like a combination of a live uh, concert and an amusement park or something where hmm. you just keep wandering around and the different music parts are playing around you. And as you move to a different part, the mix changes to what's going on over there, but it all ties together. Yeah. Building a world like that, that people can kind of navigate through um, thats sort of my, the big dream of where I want to get to.
0: Well, I look forward to, immersing myself in music in the future (laughs) all right well we're going to take a a quick break and when we come back we'll listen to some of wayne's compositions welcome back i'm talking today with wayne lytle let's start today with the piece from Anna music that people are probably most familiar with pipe dream uh, so this vi- video features balls being shot from air cannons at guitar and bass strings, drums, chimes, marimbas, and more. Uh, so did you have the visual in your head first or the music, or did they sort of grow together?
1: Yeah, that, that's probably, if there's one classic question that, that is asked of band music, it's probably that in one form or another, you know, which came first. And, for me, and I think I alluded to this a little bit earlier, um, ultimately, I want that question to, to evaporate and not even be something people think of because it is one and the same and is done together. But we're not there yet. Um, and kind of where it started out, you know, uh, they are worked on separately. So the answer to that question, and I'll answer it specifically for pipe dream. If I could remember the answer to that question is it can be literally the music done years before the visuals ever came about. And it could be the opposite where all of the instrumentation is built first before I write a single note. Mm -hmm. Um, So with pipe dream, pipe dream was more of a deliberate, like um, I was thinking about, about, the presentation of the whole animation, the fact that the, that the musical fountain thing that's the centerpiece of this, it, that was actually a, um, I had done a piece, in, uh, an animation in SIGGRAPH in 1990 uh, that featured that little fountain. And that was everybody's favorite thing. They really kind of reacted well to that. So I, I decided, well, I, if nothing else, I got to integrate the musical fountain. <laughs> but why not have that same principle with balls shooting out, hitting things, Why don't we do that with all the instruments and the whole thing? So that became like the driving force. And then, and then, so that kind of constrained in a good way, or, you know, constraints in, in artistic endeavors are, are a very positive thing really kind of keeps you, it keeps you from throwing everything in the kitchen sink principle. It sort of keeps you grounded. So it's like, all right, everything has to be making a sound like it was hit by this little ball bearing thing. So that sort of started dictating it's going to be obviously percussive, you know, because when you, when you hit something with a ball, it doesn't like make this long sustained <laughs> uh, pipe organ sound. Right. So it's like, okay, everything's going to be, you know, and there has to be not just drums. It would be nice to have some melodic stuff. So thus the marimba and the, and the vibes. Um, so, you know, that was the in- instrumentation and I've always loved a- echo and delay kind of stuff. Um, so it sort of starts out with that where th- things are bouncing from one thing to another in the same, if it was a score, it'd be the same note. One note ends up being three different note sounds because mm-hmm. of the delay. And one of the sounds is not even uh, the same. It's not even a string. The last one's a drum. So it's obviously not a digital delay where you're just playing back or recording or something, but you have the same effect as a delay. And in fact, the timing isn't even, uh, uniform. It's like the, the timing of the. I think the hit of the drum is half as long as the timing of the, the you know, string thing. So it's definitely not a, a the, the traditional delay. Um, but you know, working all that out, um, you know, then that, then it was sort of it, it became an iterative iterative thing. Once I saw, well, that that is working, but as soon as I got three balls bouncing around, it's overwhelming. I can't figure out what's going on. So. That that is actually that's a challenge, but it, there's a very specific approach that w- we've taken for pretty much uh, every animation. And that is you don't jump in with everything starting right out because it's you don't even notice the synchronization it just looks like confusion if you do that. Right. If you start park dream, never having seen it before, and you start it 20 seconds before the end. You showed it to someone, they go, huh? Yeah. You know, it wouldn't have a big reaction when you show somebody one ball hitting one string, it's like, Oh, Hey, that was cool. (laughs) So it's one of those more. Isn't always better. And, and, and the, you know, despite what you would think from, you know, Hollywood, which seems to thrive on more is better. And, you know uh, if, if one building blowing up is good, 50 buildings blowing up is really good. You know, everything's the more, 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 I find that really overwhelming. So, you know, it, it was a matter of like, how can we start out and go, hey, look, this is what happens. And then the audience says, oh, I see that happens. And you go, I'm going to do it with two now. And then you, you basically, I'm consciously doing this little tutorial on training somebody's brain how to watch it. Then, then their brain's like, oh, I'm convinced it really is doing that. You throw a few more in there. It's like, yeah, OK, I can follow that. Then you move on to another instrument. And you go, OK, I'm going to do it over here. Here's one note. Boink. And it's not not in a condescending way, or, or it, it's like your brain needs to sort of, you know, it hasn't seen something like this before. So it's like, oh, here's what I'm gonna show you. Oh, okay. And, and then by the end of the piece, you've learned how to watch it and you are convinced and it, it is all, all uh, you know, happening as what you're seeing and what you're hearing and it all makes sense. But, but you have to kind of uh, lead in uh, somebody's brain to the experience the first time. And, um, you know, so anyway, that's, that, that sort of answered the question, which came first. It was, it was sort of, uh, iterative together one step and then back and sure. forth between the two and it, and it evolved.
0: Fabulous. All right. Well, we are going to take a second here. We're going to listen to pipe dream and I encourage everybody to join our Moveable dough listeners, uh, group on Facebook. I will be posting the videos there as well. All right, next, let's talk about Resonant Chamber from Animusic 2 DVD. I have to say, this is one of my favorite instruments that you've created. This is an instrument that combines about six different pluck string instruments into one big combined instrument played with what I call spider arms and bird heads. (laughs) So what challenges did you run into creating an instrument like this?
1: Well, um, I guess that what I will say, what was most unique about this um, particularly in, in light of your question of what came first, this was the only animation that I can think of. I think the only one we ever did that was the extreme of the entire instrument was designed and modeled and built before I did a single note of music. Uh huh. And you know, that when Dave and I were in production, you know, generally we'd be working on different things, I mean, we would be sitting in the same room but sometimes i'm even working on a different animation and a lot of times it was code or something and he's modeling this and that and and usually he's he was ahead of me <laughs> i'm the reason that Animusic, music uh, you know took so long and we never got Animusic music three out uh whatever it, it's like it, it's my side of things you know dave had his stuff all done but you know at this point i'm like well i can't really i can't really give you the music and the and and the the movement stuff but but can you just build the instrument so and i said just just do what you think is interesting and i'll just kind of direct from a, a fairly light you know not not a heavy-handed direction i'm not telling him exactly where to put every uh tuning peg and string which i which i can certainly do that's sort of the default mode but but with this it's more like yeah no that's that looks cool like put another neck make it even more tripped out and and bizarre. (laughs) How how about something like this? And just kind of encouraged him to, to really kind of go way out there. So there's something like you look at and go, there's nothing like this on the planet reality, you know? Yeah. Um, And, and since then I have seen a few things that they're not quite this complicated, but they're, they have multiple necks and they're really pretty tripped out. Um, But, but anyway, the, the whole thing was built and, sort of engineered for a set of sounds that I had been, uh, gathering from, you know, different samples of, of, you know, acoustic basses and whatever. And the samples are pretty good in this one. I really kind of tried to, to make it. So it would be believable, like how the hammer-ons sound one way and the, and the, uh, a bright bass sound is different. And they, they all, they all have different ways plucked versus hammered versus you know, whatever. Um, so I had the mechanics down. I knew what all the sounds were in the ranges. Like, this is the lowest lowest note. This is the highest note. The bass can only play two notes at the same time at most. And if it's a fast any kind of riff at all, it's going to be walking between the two fingers. So I had all the constraints. And so with Dave, it was sort of like, okay, well, this this guy gets four strings, and can he add another thing here? You know, just to make sure it aligned with the the uh, sort of. Uh, synthesizer aspect of, of this instrument but it was done very very separately and then once i was ready i just all i had to do is write the piece in a way that would drive this thing uh and it was really kind of it was very very interesting fun to do it that way because uh as soon as i had a riff i could just sort of like see see how it looked on the thing which again that's still back in the day of that was rendering it all night and checking it out in the morning. Um, and it was very, a lot of it really was iterative. And the thing is, I don't, I don't write for anime music the same way I do if I'm just doing music without visuals. It's much more constrained with anime music because uh, most things don't visualize and animate that well. Um, I mean, you you can technically do anything, but a lot of it is it's just there's too much subtle stuff and too much busyness in music, and it's hard to, like, have the visuals. It just seems... It just seems like okay, stuff's wiggling around, and I'm hearing nice music, but I don't see the correlation. So with Anna music, and this piece here is no exception. There's a lot of very deliberate stuff mm-hmm. where sort of like, okay, look, I'm going to hit this note. See how the finger's going over here now, boink, and that really kind of ties it in. You're like, oh yeah, I noticed that, um, rather than well, there's a bunch of notes and stuff's wiggling, and I can't can't follow it. Yeah. So, but again, you don't want to stay with that very Simplified, uh, you know, um, you, you don't want to only have it be very simple because that gets boring. So you sort of go back and forth between ultra deliberate, simple, one thing at a time, to ramping up and going back down again and, and sort of letting it breathe like that. Um, so it was very iterative, and it was, I was writing the music so it would look good and and be convincing. And so it was written within that constraint. So I kind of like the music too. It's very much not my, I I tend to be, I tend to be most drawn to very electronic, very heavy stuff personally, but with Anna music, I find there's something else that sort of comes out. I write stuff that goes pretty far outside my maybe personal tastes and preferences, but it's, it's sort of, it's more subconscious or whatever. And I, I really like this music, although I wouldn't necessarily sit down and do something this acoustic if I was just working on an album, so sure. You know, anyway,
0: all right. Well, we're going to now listen to Resonant Chamber from Anna Music Two. Thirdly, today, we're going to talk about Pollyannagon from your album, The Sound of Twelve. Now, I was drawn to this one because of the name. When I saw the name Pollyannagon, I thought of the Disney film Pollyanna, uh, as well as the book upon which that was based. Is there any connection to Pollyanna and in, in this piece that you wrote?
1: Well, there's there's a connection for sure in the name. Um The way that I name things, I'm just not really mainly a a verbal guy, kind of thinking pictures and big blobs and whatever. So, you know, for me, I I kind of honestly wish I didn't have to name things because, (laughs) you know, it's like what it is is what you're seeing. I don't want to have to give a name to it. And what I find is words are so powerful that once you have a name for something, you say what it is. It's like telling people what they're supposed to think, Uh you know, so so I sort of resist that, and and, and with sound of twelve, it, you know, it wasn't as radical as I was planning on. But I was just going to have them numbered one through twelve and refuse to name them, you know. But finally, I, you know, I, I do like playing around with words. Some, so I I ended up kind of doing my usual goofing, you know, goofing around with words and merging them together, and 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 thinking of what different things it would fit with. So yes, Pollyanna is something that. I had grown up thinking Pollyanna was a, a derogatory term. That's always the context I heard it in. Like uh, you know, don't be all Pollyanna about it. Like like sort of unrealistically um, uh, too much of a somebody who's just daydreaming and they they don't have their feet in the real world because the mm-hmm. real world has terrible miserable stuff in it. And so I, I seem to be the last person to learn lots of different things. But anyway, eventually I, I found out that. That was based on a story, and as I understand it, it was like this: this little girl who who she would find a positive aspect and a positive way to look at anything. People like, yeah. man, yes, you know, so they sort of were like, "What's your problem?" And well, the thing is, like, well, no, what's your problem? Maybe she's seeing it right. Maybe that is the way to to see things and to live life. So, so it was like all of a sudden, I saw Pollyanna instead of like a derogatory term. It's more like this this heroic character so that mm-hmm. that's like why that was there and of course polygons are what that's what all the stuff uh with <laughs> graphics is made of polygons and and you know those two words just wanted to be merged together uh but then you got the this sort of there's this play on words that comes out of it like pollyanna gone like like is our pollyanna gone have we have we lost our ability to see uh, and hope and and dream or are we looking at all oh, the world's just going down the tubes and it's getting worse and worse which which i i don't think that's the right way to look at it no matter what's going on but i recognize in myself my tendency is to see the darkness not the light but i think the light is ultimately uh the light overcomes darkness and is is more powerful so it's sort of a conscious a lot of the things in the the names of uh, all the tunes on on the album uh, have like like spiritual significance the whole thing from the first one my king to uh to uh fruitful visions you know visions of being of fruitfulness uh rest of all is a combination of rest like a sabbath rest and a festival all of that is things that are sort of like almost spiritually that i was thinking a lot about and uh, really from the perspective of uh trying to call myself up to how how i think if you're enlightened you should be living as opposed to kind of where i found myself so um you know that's that it's my chance to play around with words a little bit to name a tune but when i was doing the tune it was like number six or something or 3b or had some weird set of letters that told me what the name of the file was but you know anyway that's that's the story
0: all right well we're going to listen now to Polyamagon from the album sound of 12 All right last today let's talk about pogo sticks from Music 2 this is actually one of my students favorite that they often comment on uh this video features guitars and mallet instruments that play themselves with strategically placed arms as they bounce on rolling po- pogo sticks so this seems to be an extension of the character you created for the song stick figures uh so can you talk about your decision to sort of revisit and expand on that idea
1: yeah um that's, that's exactly what it was. And it, interestingly, it wasn't something that I naturally thought of. And it sort of, you know, at, at the time, everything in my mind, everything had to be new, every animation to completely start over and recreate all the instruments. And, you know, it's interesting, you're using words to describe them that are sort of analogs of things that exist in the real world, but literally these these are imaginary instruments like they're they're not guitars you know but it's like well it's got a string it's something it's being hit with a hammer that's a little weird but it's borrowing from the way instruments work in in on this planet you know but also sort of uh removing most of the constraints of reality and and putting it sort of like uh dreamland where you know all of these worlds exist as their own little concert like that is what the world is kind of um i think i lost my thought i have no idea how i got what am i talking about
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about pogo sticks and, and oh, yeah, guitars yeah, yeah. <laughs> so,
1: so yeah so so pogo sticks it, it's like well the, those those little like cute little characters from uh i guess stick figures was the first one you know they they kind of they have a little bit of character you know and they're very simple they're some of the simplest things We've done. I mean, the models aren't trivially simple and everything. But you know, it's another example of just because it's simple, doesn't mean it's not fun. It's one of my funnest, like things that I funnest. was a stupid word. I still say that (laughs) to this day. But one of the most fun things to, to, to look at is individual instruments just on a black background playing by themselves. I I love to watch that and you know, these guys were kind of some of the most satisfying. You just watch them kind of riffing on this; their one or two strings and what they did with it. So um, it's probably a story. It's too long to tell, but, but, but somebody mentioned sort of like, well, why don't you reuse stuff you've done before? I mean, that's what everybody does. There's nothing shameful. And uh, you know, when you like a character, it, don't you want to see them in another movie? You don't want everything to be new. And it's like, for me, Believe it or not, it was a big revelation. Like, oh, I can't do that. I didn't think of that. <laughs> but, but also, sort of the why, you know, uh, Sick figures came about. It was actually an example, of something that was the opposite of the case with um, what did we just look resident at the, chamber? Uh, resident chamber. Yeah, it was the opposite of that because, like, the the music was done actually in there was several iterations that were done that would go back to like undergrad uh it was like i don't know early 80s or something you know and then i re redid a part of it you know whatever so the music had been around for a long time and i sort of built the instrumentation to depict all the different parts in the music and actually that's one of the things that i like the least about that piece because i wouldn't have put half the things in there but i had to because the sounds existed So Uh it's almost to me, the first, the, the original stick figures is uh, it's almost like a little awkward. It's kind of like goofy, like all this random stuff, put there, uh, even if it was only for two notes, I had to make the thing be there. Right. So the, the pogo sticks was extracting the cool part of that, which is the little stick figure guys and having it all be about them. Uh It's sort of the, um, just like with pipe dream it was an iteration of something that the prior version had been like the kitchen sink, everything thrown in there, whether it went together or not. And this was like, okay, let's make it more of a coherent world. Like this world is these little guys that pop around and and they play by hitting their, their strings with hammers. That, that is that world rather than having a bunch of other stuff. Um, And then there was this uh, producer that for years, he just kept trying to, He kept trying to convince me that really the only exciting computer graphics to look at is if the camera is flying forward all the time, which to me, I, I disagreed with so strongly. I can't begin to tell you (laughs) because that's ridiculous, but I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do one that the camera's just moving and we're moving along and traveling. And so that had its own challenges because it's like, um, now these guys have to move along on a path but they can't get so separated from each other. None of them can get so far ahead of the other that like, they can't be seen in the same shot, but they can't be going along so much in parallel that it looks, it looks silly. Uh, And sometimes even for that, I didn't want to have the camera flying all the time. So they end up sort of pausing and having three different stages that they pause on for a little bit and then they move on to another thing and, and all that. So it was, um, That was, that was a really uh, a fun one to do, but it, like every animation, there was something that was unique and challenging for us that we hadn't done before. You know, most of the stuff we're just learning as we go. It's like, you know, so I was learning how to fly fly around cameras and keep this constant camera motion happy kind of just, just to scratch the itch that one guy had bugged me about for years. (laughs) Um, but yeah, but it came out good and it, and it had, uh, I, you know, I was enjoying, that's, that was the one I was watching when I realized, uh, <laughs> I needed to, 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 to do the, the zoom call with you because, because I was kind of, uh, zoning out on, po- <laughs> on, uh, Pogo sticks going through the tunnel and turning blue and the reverb inside the tunnel. And, and it was like relaxing and fun to look at, you know?
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to now listen to Pogo sticks from Anna music Two. So Wayne, if my listeners want to learn more about you or about Anna Music, uh, what website should they visit?
1: Well, there still is a website annamusic.com. So as long as they can spell it, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, I mean that in if if people have been hearing it as some people mispronounce it as Anna Music instead of Anna Music, and then they think it's Anna like the girl's name, so they think it's A N N A Music. <laughs> you won't find that, but it's animation and music fused together. So as long as they type in, and I, and USIC, see, um, you know, there's a website there with some stuff. It's, it's pretty bare bones right now. I, uh, yeah, sort of read, re just did a placeholder site uh, once, once we, uh, you know, stopped like selling DVDs online. It's kind of, it's, there's a placeholder until, you know, we figure out the, where we go from here? Yeah. Um, but you know that's one place. I don't know that there's that much about me in particular. It's more like some things that I happen to write. A, some brief background about kind of how it works or something like that. Um, and then there's videos. All of our videos are on YouTube, usually uploaded by other people. It just ripped them off, <laughs> you know, DVDs. Which, in hindsight, it probably should have not just let everybody do that. But, uh, but I did. So they're you know they're all over the place. But. Um, yeah, that's probably the best best way to to uh, find out more about it. You know, right. and I would like at some point to more formalize that, like have something that explains it in more depth and my thoughts behind it and all, all that um, in a way that is carefully thought through. So, it's, so it really does make it more clear and answer people's questions. But that's a pretty big undertaking. So right. that's still like a someday item.
0: Well, you can put this podcast on there and say, if you want to know more, listen. (laughs) (laughs) Now you'll be
1: even more confused.
0: (laughs) That's right. Well, hey, listeners out there, if you have been enjoying this episode, make sure that you subscribe through whichever podcast provider you're using. Movable Dough is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Radio Public, and more. Subscribe today so you don't miss a single episode. Well, Wayne Lytle, it has been great to talk with you today. Thank you so much for joining me on Movable Dough.
1: Thanks for having me. It was, it was fun.
0: My guest today was composer and creator of Anna Music, Wayne Lytle. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving.